This is Street Signals, a weekly conversation about markets and macro brought to you by State Street Global Markets. I'm your host, Tim Graff, Head of Macro Strategy for EMEA at State Street, based in London. It's that time of year again. Things are winding down, and the focus is now on what to think about for 2024. And like a lot of other banks, we've published our year-ahead piece with a lot of ideas of the best opportunities in equity, rates, and FX markets. And the next few episodes of this podcast, we are going to first take a look back at this year and then look ahead at the coming year from a few different angles. Today's podcast is one I'm really excited about, and we're going to start things off by talking to our head of global markets, Tony Basenia. Tony is an executive vice president and head of State Street Global Markets, overseeing all aspects of our trading product and operations platforms. He has been in the business for more than 30 years. He started his career in treasury operations before joining State Street, and he has held a variety of trading and management positions in FX, money markets, and derivatives with us. The businesses he runs today include FX trading, securities finance, FIC repo, transition management, equity trading. You get the picture. He oversees a lot. So, Tony, it is a pleasure to have you here on Street Signals this week. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, let's get into it. As I mentioned in the introduction, we want to look back a little bit and have a review of this year. The beginning of the year, towards the beginning of the year, we had a banking crisis. And then as the autumn wore on, we had war breakout in the Middle East. None of that really shook volatility. But recently, things have started to get a little bit more interesting. What would you say have been the biggest challenges for the business this year? I think one of the most perplexing things for the business has been that lack of volatility. Yeah. As you just stated, you know, we ha- still have a war in Europe. We added another war in the Middle East. We had a banking crisis, although regional banking crisis, not so much global, but it did impact the global banking system. And we've kind of sailed through this thing remarkably well. And the whole time, equities continue to surprise me with their buoyancy and just keep pushing higher. And a lot of that, too, in the wake of much higher rates. And then the other theme that keeps scratching my head about a lot, actually, is that when you look at the market right now, everyone's looking for rates to come off a lot. And you know it's varied throughout the year, but they're pricing in a lot of cuts next year again. And in a lot of ways, I'm becoming more and more of an advocate here in the States anyway, of this kind of soft landing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the plane just touches down briefly and takes off again. So mm-hmm. that's the the biggest surprise, I think, for myself and the markets. And I think you have a whole, you know, a whole lot of investment professionals out there that have seen extremely low interest rates for the last 20 years. And they're biased to think that rates have to go a lot lower to get back to normal. And you know, if you look at overnight rates in the US. And over the last 50 years or so, they're not far away from where they are right now. So what is normal for rates? We could debate that for a long time, but hmm. you know, I tend to think it's higher than what the market's thinking. And you know, the market's pricing an awful lot in next year. So in my mind, they, I think that they might have it wrong here. So. so that's interesting. Setting up for next year, that creates something people can disagree on. But we're in similar territory as we were around this time last year, around this time last year, markets finally started to recover after what was a high vol year. You had bonds and equities rallying from really, I think, the start of Q4 onwards. You had vol come off. 
And you had a similar thing play out where everybody thought the Fed was primed to start cutting rates and others would follow suit soon after that. I guess I'm wondering, and will it happen in similarly low vol fashion if that is to be challenged as it was at the beginning of this year? I tend to think not, but it, you know, I was recently looking at some um, numbers over the past, you know, comparing 22 to 23. And if you look at November, and look at 22 to 23, it looks remarkably similar yeah. last year as to this year. You know, you just said it like you've got stocks up similar amount, dollar index down similar amount, 10-year yield moving a similar amount. It's really strange to see this. And, you know, I think the difference now is a couple of things. Then you had rates that were kind of moving in unison more so last year around the globe. Yeah, I think there's a real probability when you look at Eurozone, UK, that they're they're not going to have a soft landing. They're going to go into a recession if they're not already in it. The US, I think, you know, this exceptionalism in the US might continue. And we could see a situation where the US economy actually is far more resilient than people think. Fed stays higher for longer, which they've been pretty clear in most of the discussions with the market about what their intention is. And then you could see a real divergence. And the other thing to, at play here is if you look at last year all to this year, you're, we're much farther in. We've got a whole other year into this higher rate cycle. So I think what we might be poised for, and again, we still have the percolating global macro events out there, You know, a couple of wars to say the least, and an election coming up, which in the US should prove to be quite entertaining to say the least. <laughs> Put all that in the mix, and I think you're going to see some divergence now in, in the global economies, more so than we saw last year. I think that could really fuel some volatility. And in particular in the U.S., I think right now, the way they're pricing in rates, it's giving solid footing to stocks. But if we really stay in a situation where we just do the soft landing and don't slow down a lot, the Fed could sit pat for quite some time. Inflation's still running hot. Yeah, probably close to headlines, probably close to twice the target. Unless that turns quickly, I don't see all the rate cuts. I think right now we've got about 125 base points of rate cuts priced in through year end. I just don't see that happening. And for stocks to stay where they are, they're going to have to earnings are going to have to grow a lot to support the multiple. So I think we could be in store for a fairly volatile year next year. So when it comes to the U.S., I was going to ask about recession risks. And we've talked about this on the podcast a few times over the last few episodes where we have our own recession probability model that we've produced that looks at the kind of confluence of economic variables. And that puts the US recession at about 90%. Now, this is, of course, a very unique period where we're coming out of a pandemic. You have all sorts of fiscal stimulus that's been thrown into the mix. You have all sorts of supply and demand shocks that we're still feeling the echoes of when it comes to the U.S., is it truly a soft landing where the contraction doesn't happen, or is there any possibility you see that actually economic activity is slowing sufficiently? You'll get something. Obviously, not. you don't think it's going to be too bad, but you might get something. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to slow. The question is, I look at a soft landing or a mild recession versus a meaningful recession. And mm. I, I think a meaningful recession from what I can see right now, I think is a low probability. I think we'll have a slowing to a slight recession, and I think it'll be pretty short-lived. And it'll probably, I, I personally think it'll appear later in the year, even pushing out maybe 
to the fourth quarter into next year. But I don't anticipate it being that substantial. Um, it just seems there's, there's too many anomalies that we have now. You know, it's been talked about before about mortgage rates, fixed rate mortgages in the U.S. and what it's doing to right now housing and supplier housing. <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of things that make it harder with the normal rate mechanism to feed through the economy. You've got baby boomers that have left the economy with a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. And they're suddenly now earning a lot of money in that cash and they can go out and spend a lot more, right? So it is a, it's kind of a, a bit of an offset to the higher rate. So there's a lot of unusual things, anomalies that we're seeing that are going to make this far less predictable, I think, in the U.S. And it does seem the resiliency of the U.S. economy is going to, I think at a minimum, mitigate the depth of any recession we go into. Uh, I want to carry on with that and talk about the Fed. You mentioned that we now have about 125 bips priced in for the Fed for next year. Again, similar territory as where we were this time last year, albeit maybe some slight differences on timing. But nonetheless, the market believed the Fed was going to ease. The Fed this year, at least, in their projections is suggesting they have some scope to ease a little bit. And I suspect that's down to the fall in, in inflation we've seen so far. It keeps real rates higher and therefore you can potentially ease. Do you see them easing at all though? Let's look forward here and try to paint a picture of what the year might look like. You know, we see inflation still above target, but coming down. <clears throat> I think our own internal price stats measures also show inflation may be abating as well. But that's going to take some time to play out. They keep talking about the 2% target. So it, it seems to me a reasonable probability would be that inflation keeps working its way down so that as we go through Q1, we you know get down to the threes and maybe mid-year get down on a two-handle. But I think until you kind of get down really close to 2%, it looks like there's a risk of it going through that level. That's probably when you would see them cut. It doesn't mean they have to cut a lot either, right? Yeah. You know, the economy, you know, it, it, it's not like inflation's collapsing. If you take out the volatility of energy, which will put more volatility in inflation, but you look at the core, you know, I think we could be looking at that type of scenario where it gradually continues to improve. They keep making progress on it, barring unemployment really turning around quickly and you know we see a lot of layoffs a lot of people unemployed and signs of a really severe recession coming i don't think they're going to be too quick to cut rates so i think you could you know get one or two cuts in the second half of next year and you know that doesn't seem that unrealistic to me yeah that's yeah. very interesting i mean that's that's yeah. quite out of consensus now it seems like the yeah. last month or so yeah yeah I, I, mean, think I think that's the risk. I'm thinking like a trader. Where's the risk point here? If you get what the market's expecting, right? I think that's all priced in. I think there's a risk that you're not going to get it. And you get a scenario like that where you get a lot less in the way of rate cuts. And you get a, you know, a, again, a, a softer landing is kind of built in, which a lot of people talk about it, but I, I scratch my head with that. They talk about soft landing if they keep pricing in more cuts. I think that kind of goes back to the mentality of the market where they're used to very low interest rates for so long in the States that they think that's really the norm. And I, I'd argue it's not that normal. 
That brings me to the rest of the world before we head on. I mean, that what you've said is a, an interesting outlook for asset markets because it really challenges some of the things we started the podcast talking about, the, the resilience of equities as we head into year end. Obviously, the rally in fixed income gets challenged. But I'm wondering, and you've mentioned a couple of places that look a little bit weaker, certainly weaker than the U.S. And I'm wondering if we can talk about that a bit and maybe thinking about not so much where rate cuts are overpriced, but maybe where they're underpriced. Would you say that's the case for some of these weaker economies that you mentioned? We have the ECB, the Bank of Canada, not as much the Bank of England. The Bank of England actually doesn't have too much priced in for next year, even though you, know, you mentioned them potentially heading for a recession. I, I tend to agree with that. But it's really the Bank of Canada, the, the ECB, where you have cuts that are actually, in the ECB's case, are coming earlier than the Fed and yep. are of similar magnitude. And I'm just wondering if you think that might be accurate to potentially underpriced given the potential weakness we see. I feel that that's far more accurate that you could see the ECB cut rates much in line with what's priced in now. Um, you look at growth, growth's really, it's really slow right now. Mm. And if it turns negative, I think they absolutely would be looking at, at cutting rates. So that kind of goes back to my original statement that I think we're going to get divergence in um, interest rate markets in a meaningful way as we're going to next year. And I think that will fuel some volatility in the markets. Speaking of divergence, the ultimate divergence play, surely within the G10 at least, is in Japan, where again, this time last year, I think the consensus trade a lot of people have was yen strength based on the BOJ needing to act or do something to address inflation. And what we've seen since then is inflation continues to rise. Our price stats data show it's still really sticky. And the BOJ has only made minor tweaks to things like yield curve control and obviously not adjusted rates. I know you've you've looked at Japan for years as a trader, and I'm I'm curious to get perspective on this from a lot of different angles. First of all, the central bank question. I mean, do you think this is the year where they finally have to throw in the towel on some of these policies? I, I think so. I mean, it, you, you look at Japan, right? So CPI now has been, what, 2% or higher now since back in April 22, somewhere around there, right? Yeah. You know, they haven't seen this in 25 or 30 years. I think they're cautious that, you know, it could be another false move inflation and they revert back to where they were going. But I think this time it could actually be different because it's being, we've seen a lot of things that were different, right? And, you know, the pandemics created a lot of nuances in global economies that we're just not used to. And this could very well be one that, you know, you, you could see a situation where inflation really gets sticky. 2024, you could see the BOJ continue to tighten. And I think that that that's likely the case. And if you get that playing out, I think you know right now the yen's undervalued. Mm. If they if they continue that way and the Fed's on hold to maybe slightly down, I think you could see a pretty meaningful correction there. Compared to back in the day when you could get you know three, four, five big figure moves in dollar yen, do you see potential for that? I mean, this is actually maybe a bit more of a market structure or liquidity question. I mean, how would you compare the market for something like that when you had the BOJ coming in in the late 90s versus what they might potentially do either with policy or with intervention, maybe? Well, if you go back to at the beginning of 23, you know, we were around 130. Mm. And we went up over 150. So that's a pretty substantial move. So, 
you know, you could see something like that again. So we've got a source of potential volatility there in the central bank divergence view. You mentioned equities and equities have really high earnings expectations. I suppose they always do. Analysts in equities are always optimistic. Equities, though, are interesting because you've talked about the potential for a U.S. soft landing. Of course, U.S. equities are very domestically driven, but also have this big international tech component to them that has been the provider of all of our returns, I think, in our 401ks and pensions. Where is the balance struck in your mind for equities? Is that still maybe the most attractive asset class after having such a great year this year? You know, I think if you don't get the cuts that are priced in, which I personally think is reasonable risk, we don't get what's been priced in, particularly in the last month or so. I think equities in the U.S. in particular could be poised for a correction. Okay. So that volatility you see coming through from earnings and and potential disappointment as well as rate market volatility through that divergence, that can weigh. Is there anything that stands out to you as an attractive asset class then for for next year? If if rates are overpriced for, for easing, if equities can correct, the yen maybe is the currency play, I suppose, but is there anything in asset markets that really grabs you? Parts of, you know, plays like in the U.S. curve, you get the, you know, the two-year and the 10-year spread. I think there's some opportunity there because the, the curve's not going to stay inverted forever. It's going to flatten. Yep. And it's a combination of, you know, what's the right long-term 10-year yield and what's the right two-year yield. If the Fed cuts rates a little bit next year, and, you know, I think you'll see the, the potential for the curve to steepen a bit. So there, there could be curve plays for sure. Um, I think that's an area of opportunity. I do think the U.S. equity market relative to offshore, I think on a relative basis, even if we take out, like if we take out all these, the last month or so of rate cuts that got priced in, I think we'd all agree we'd see equities lower. Yeah. Um, but, you know, where's the right place to buy? I do think as you, know, you look at sectors in the U.S. equity market, it's still technology. You know, technology story this year, it's going to be a technology story next year. I think, you know, those areas, those sectors are going to outperform for sure. You know, so I think that those are attractive if you get some sort of correction in the equity market. So that, that that's where I would look at, you know, opportunity as we start the year anyways. Yeah. So let's finish with the dollar then and kind of come full circle here because we have a lot of cross currents. We have potential rate support, potential volatility support. At the same time, though, the dollar is quite expensive. A sort of soft landing scenario, if you subscribe to the dollar smile way of looking at the world, actually usually isn't good for the dollar. And it is overweight in our holdings measures. When I look at the dollar, I think where it will perform well will be against the you know developed markets economies where they cut rates certainly faster and more dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think the Eurozone's a likely candidate for that. I think Sterling might be a likely candidate for it as well. I mean, again, you know, we have to see where the economy, you know, finishes up and where it goes next year. But if it does start slowing and, you know, they start more aggressively putting cuts in and, you know, the Fed, maybe we're not getting as much as we thought and we're higher for longer. I think the dollar will perform well there. You know, it might not perform as well. And I think, you know, against the yen, I think the yen could be a play where it goes the other way. Um, I think the dollar, if rates stay higher longer and the market has to reprice the prospect of Fed cuts, I generally like the dollar against the emerging market group. Interesting. Kind of the opposite to this year where carry was king and EM potentially. Yep. Any EM plays as a, as a final thought that really stand out to you? I, I guess I'm more bullish on Latin America. 
I'm more concerned about geopolitical risk in Asia. And okay. that hasn't gone away. It seems to be people focus on the two current wars we have going on, but the whole situation with China has yet to resolve itself. It, I think there's a lot of geopolitical risk there. So I'm a little less bullish on emerging market in Asia. China, we know they've got their own economic woes. So I'm not really bullish there, but I do think Latin America is an area you know that looks like there's pretty good opportunities from a strength perspective. I think there's a shift too. We're seeing more manufacturing, the states coming out of Latin America. So I think there's that that longer term, I like that as that emerging market in general, Latin America. Sounds good. Well, there's a lot of views there, folks. This is actually the first of three different podcasts we're going to have in the coming weeks on the views and themes that dominate the year ahead. The next one will be the strategy team's views that have already been published. We'll go through those in a special podcast early next week. And then we're going to have a bit of a roundtable of the, the, the team heads the week after that to talk about all these things, all the things that Tony's introduced, all the things that the trade ideas the team has come up with have introduced. But for now, Tony, I just have to say thanks so much for your time. It's always good to catch up and to hear your thoughts. Thank you. It was great to have a chat. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Street Signals from the research team at State Street Global Markets. This podcast and all of our research can be found at our web portal, Insights. There, you'll be able to find all of our latest thinking on macroeconomics and markets, where we leverage our deep experience in research on investor behavior, inflation, risk, and media sentiment, all of which goes into building an award-winning strategy product. If you're a client of State Street, hit us up there at globalmarkets.statestreet.com. We'll see you next time. This communication is provided by State Street Bank and Trust Company, hereafter referred to as State Street, and is for informational purposes only, and is not intended to suggest or recommend any transaction, investment, or investment strategy. It does not constitute investment research, nor does it purport to be comprehensive or intended to replace the exercise of an investor's own careful, independent review and judgment regarding any investment decision. This communication and the information herein does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities or any financial instrument nor is it intended to constitute a binding contractual arrangement or commitment by State Street of any kind. The information provided does not take into account any particular investment objectives, strategies, investment horizon, or tax status. The views expressed herein are the views of State Street as of the date specified and are subject to change without notice based on market and other conditions. The information provided herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable at the time of publication. Nonetheless, we make no representations or assurances that the information is complete or accurate, and you should not place any reliance on said information. State Street hereby disclaims any warranty and all liability, whether arising in contract, tort, or otherwise, for any losses, liabilities, damages, expenses, or costs, either direct, indirect, consequential, special, or punitive, arising from or in connection with any use of this communication and or the information herein. State Street or its affiliates may from time to time as principal or agent for its own account or for those of its clients have positions in and or actively trade in financial instruments or other products identical to or economically related to those discussed in this communication. State Street may have a commercial relationship with issuers of financial instruments or other products discussed in this communication. This communication may contain information deemed to be forward-looking statements. These statements are based on assumptions, analyses, and expectations of State Street in light of its experience and perception of historical trends, current conditions, expected future developments, and other factors it believes appropriate under the circumstances. All information is subject to change without notice. This communication or any portion hereof may not be redistributed without the prior written consent of State Street. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. <laughs>